I just wish I could sing like that. That would be cool. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys as we uh, continue our uh, series called uh, The Invitation today. I have received uh, this week, uh, Peg and I did, two invitations uh, to two different weddings. And, um, you know, when we got those invitations, I felt uh, honored, uh, glad to be included, excited to be a part of those. And I also realized they had no choice but to send me invitations. I'm performing the ceremonies, but uh, that's just a side detail, you know. It's not really that important. Now, I, maybe I'm the only one that uh, would admit this this morning, but I suspect all of us uh, have had these thoughts. Do you ever receive invitations to events, unlike the two that I mentioned, which I'm excited about, do you ever receive invitations to events that you think, oh no, I really don't want to go to that. And if I'm really honest with you this morning, I will tell you that when I've gotten those invitations, I have tried to think of excuses not to go to those events. But you know what also is true? That sometimes when I have gone ahead and gone to those events that I wasn't so excited about, they turn out to be wonderful events that I have a really fun time at. So oftentimes what we expect to happen as a result of an invitation isn't what really happens. It often turns out to be far better than we might have expected. Well, as we said last week when we began, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus sent a very, God sent a very personal invitation. He invited us to be His followers, to be His friends, to worship Him. That invitation came in the form of a baby born in a manger. Jesus came to invite us to have a relationship with God. We have to decide whether or not we're going to accept that invitation. Now, as we said last week, we, we've heard that story over and over again. And we're trying this time, though, to make sure this story, which often has become almost too familiar to us, that we don't miss the message of this invitation and the impact that it can have on our lives. Martin Turgeon was seven years old, when on June 5, 1978, on the Prairie River up in Canada, he slipped accidentally off of the wharf and into the water. He came back to the surface one time, and then he was never seen again as he drowned. Now, if that isn't tragic enough, the rest of the story is more tragic. Because on that day, on that same wharf, were 12 onlookers who did nothing to rescue him. Later, when they were asked, why didn't you jump in and help? They explained that they knew that just up the river was a sewage treatment plant that poured raw sewage into that river. They knew that it was unhealthy and they weren't willing to take the risk. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable that they wouldn't be willing to take that risk. You know, I suppose there are some here today that when you think about God, you view Him as one of those onlookers standing alongside the prairie river that day. And you think that He is unwilling to jump into the middle of the mess of your life. That He would say, I'm not jumping into that putrid river. You have this image of God that God says, hey, I'm holy. And you're going to have to clean yourself up first before I'll embrace you. You're going to have to fix yourself before I want to get involved. But when you read the story of Christmas, you quickly come to a realization that that's not true. That this God who sent us this very personal invitation desires to jump right into the middle of the mess of our lives. To jump right into the putrid river of our sin. 
to rescue and to deliver us. Now, as I said earlier, we've been in this story. And the great part about this invitation is that no one has been left off the invitation list. Everyone has been included. But sometimes we forget that because the story has become so familiar. So again today, I I want to read in Luke chapter 2 this story. And I want to focus in on one word in the story. One word that we all know. One word that we all sing at this time of year. But it is one word that defines our relationship with God. So I hope you brought your Bibles today and I hope you'll take them out and open them to Luke chapter 2. If you were here last week, you may have already got your spot marked there. Luke chapter 2 is where we want to be. Now in the first part of that, we know the story where Mary and Joseph learn that uh, they're going to have a baby and uh, they find out about the census that takes them to this little town of Bethlehem. And it's a difficult journey for Mary in her state of pregnancy. And they get there and on top of everything else, there's no place for them to stay. And so they end up in a stable, which really probably was more like a, a cave cut in the side of a hill. And then here's what happens in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The word that I want to focus on is Savior. You see, when God looks down into our lives and He sees the mess of our lives at times, He says, you know what, I don't need to send them a coach. They don't need a a silent partner with deep pockets to facilitate a relationship with me. They don't need a financial advisor or an accountant. They don't need someone who will help them try to do the right things to earn a relationship with me. They need a Savior. They need someone who will dive right into the putrid river of their lives and their sin and rescue and deliver them. And God said, you know what? I'm going to send that Savior. And it has nothing to do with what any one person does or not does not do. It's not about what we are capable of doing ourselves. God says, I am sending you a Savior and it's all about what I am going to do for you. That's what makes it good news for everybody. But I also realized this morning that if we haven't come to grips with the fact that we need saving, then there is a tendency for a lot of us to look at Jesus as simply a nuisance in our life or, worse yet, as threatening in our lives. I heard a pastor who uh, has a church in a large metropolitan city tell a story about uh, one day he was out in traffic and stopped at a huge intersection. And as his car was stopped there and he looked across the intersection, he could see a lady driving a car, a very nice car, and her car was on fire. He could see the fire through the grill, but the smoke was just down low on the ground, and so she had no idea. She's just sitting there probably listening to the radio and looking at the light, waiting for it to change, and maybe her mind's off and who knows where. And he could watch this whole event unfold, and he said there must there was another guy who evidently also saw that her car was on fire kind of over to one side. And he got out of his car and goes running towards her, and at first she doesn't even notice. She just, again, just paying attention to the stoplight, ready to go. 
But as he gets closer, she catches him out of the corner of her eye. And immediately, what does she do? She kind of leans back into the car away from the window and you can see her fumbling around trying to lock the door. She doesn't realize that this guy is coming to save her. She has no idea that she needs a Savior at this point. And so she is frightened, threatened, thinking he's going to carjack her. In fact, she tries to to drive forward, but she only makes it a couple of feet before the car absolutely dies. And at this point, the smoke starts to billow up. And suddenly she realizes she needs saving. What do you think she did? She unlocked the door, let the guy save her, get her out of that burning car. When she finally realized that she needed a Savior. And for some of us in this room today, our whole perspective on Christianity is that Jesus is always trying to interfere in our lives, that He's trying to carjack our lives. I mean, you may have someone in your family that's always trying to get you to put stuff on your iPod to listen to about God. Or you've got a a brother who lives in another state and he's always emailing you these articles about God. Or there's this guy at work and he's got his Bible on the desk. And you just want to say, leave me alone with all the Jesus stuff. I'm fine just the way I am. But you know, a lot of us around here could tell you about in our own lives how we spent years running away from from Jesus. Until something happened. Until there was a moment in our lives when we suddenly realized we needed a Savior. And that thing that at one time to us was nothing more than a nuisance and seemed threatening to us and maybe even at times seemed rather stupid became our lifeline. Became so important to us because we finally recognized in our lives that we needed to be saved. We needed to be rescued. When you read about some of the early Christ followers in ancient Rome, there was this attitude among some of them that they didn't see, feel like God was really involved in their lives. And so because they didn't see God really involved, they had this idea that because He was so hands-off, He must not really care about them. But you know what the reality is? That's how God has chosen to work. God has chosen not to pressure His way into our lives. God has chosen not to threaten His way into our lives. He'll take no for an answer. In fact, He'll stand on the sidelines offering His invitation, waiting for us to accept the invitation. He doesn't push His way in. In fact, when you read in the Bible in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the author of that book is writing in response to this attitude of people that God so hands off Does He not really care about us? And the writer says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? You see, God's strategy for bringing any of us to the place where we recognize that we need a Savior is tolerance, patience, and kindness. God desires that we would let Him save us, but He doesn't push His way into our lives. And you know what? He will allow us to just continue along the journey without trying to force His way in, even if our lives are burning down. He'll just let us continue. He'll take no for an answer. Until that moment. Until that moment when we suddenly recognize that our lives are burning down around us, 
or our marriage is going up in smoke around us, or there is some kind of illness that we become aware of in our life, or there is something that happens that wakes us up and causes us to have that moment where we suddenly recognize, I need a Savior. And at that moment, our lives intersect with the Savior who is Christ the Lord. The One who came as a baby in the manger. Now still, there are probably some of you that would say, but I really don't think I need saving. I think I can handle it on my own. I would argue with you maybe. Well, not argue. I would discuss with you that I think you do need a Savior. Because I would say to you, there are things you can't save yourself from today. And if you can't save yourself from things today, what are you going to do about eternity? Think of it this way. I suppose we would all confess this morning that we probably have some bad habits in our lives, right? Probably some kind of habit that you'd like to get rid of and you've maybe struggled with it for months or years and you just can't overcome this habit. What if I told you this morning that I could promise you that if you would come here and shake my hand that in that moment that habit would be gone, you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. You'd line up after the service, wouldn't you? I'd be the first one in line to shake my own hand to get rid of some habits of my own that I'd like to be rid of. You can't do it yourself. And in fact, how many of us, how many of you would admit I have some kind of bad habit in my life I'd like to get rid of? Yeah, just about nearly everybody has their hand up. I'll tell you what, let, let me give you 30 seconds here. And right there where you're seated, why don't you save yourself from that habit? Why don't you make it go away all by yourself right now? There you go. Now, you've been trying and you can't, can you? You haven't been able to overcome it by yourself. And if we're honest this morning, if we're really honest, Every day when you stand in front of the mirror, you see stuff in your own life that you realize, I can't save myself from this. I need a Savior. I need a Savior for today. And I certainly need a Savior for eternity. Rick Warren has a great quote. He says this. He says, you don't need a Savior because you might die tonight. You need a Savior because you have to live tomorrow. Friends, we all need a Savior. And that's God's invitation that He sent 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus who wants to be that Savior, who wants to jump right in the middle of the mess of our lives and rescue and deliver us. You know, there... There's something very special about Christianity. You know what's very special about Christianity? It's the relationship between the saved and the Savior. The relationship between the rescued and the rescuer. The relationship between the delivered and the deliverer. It is a relationship that is unlike any other relationship and it is powerful and it can't be found anywhere else except in the One who sent His Son to save us. It is a powerful relationship. There's something that happens. If there is something going on in your life and you feel like you need to be saved from it, 
if somebody comes along and saves you from that, there is just this natural reaction to that person that I think happens all the time. If I need to be saved from something and someone comes along and saves me, I suddenly would say to them, you know what, here are all my phone numbers, here's my contact information. If there's ever anything I can do for you, just call me. I'll do it. You see, there is this natural reaction when someone saves us of unfiltered emotion and unsolicited devotion that happens. A lot of you know that uh, when our family lived in Ohio still, um, my wife and I had some very difficult days in our marriage relationship. And it was very rocky and we needed some help. And so we went to a counselor. His name was Tony Trapp. And through a series of time spending with him and his help and input into our lives, we took something that at that time was very rocky and helped form it into something that was very healthy. But I am so thankful because if you ask my wife, and I'll tell you, you know, I kind of look at Tony and think, in a sense, he saved our marriage. And you know what? If my phone rang this afternoon and it was Tony Trapp on the other end of that phone and he said to me, Jeff, I was wondering if you could do something for me. You know my immediate response would be to him? Absolutely. You name it, anything, I'll do my best to do it. And he might kind of protest and say, well, are you sure? And and I, I would just reassure him over and over again, Tony, just ask whatever it is. I'll be happy to do it. Because I have this sense of unsolicited devotion because I have this feeling that he helped save my marriage. And so, because of that unsolicited devotion, it's no longer, oh, I ought to or I have to, but of course I will. Of course I'll serve you in that way. There's also this unfiltered emotion that we feel when someone saves us. There's another word in the Christmas story that sometimes we maybe go right over. Do you remember what it says there when the angels came to the shepherds? They said, we bring you good news of great, what? Joy. Of great joy. You know why it was good news of great joy? Because they were announcing the arrival of a Savior. And when someone saves us, there is this unfiltered emotion that happens, this overwhelming joy that becomes part of our lives. And when we recognize that we need a Savior, and we allow Jesus to be that Savior, the same kind of response of unsolicited devotion and unfiltered emotion wells up inside of us as a natural response to what He's done for us. Maybe you have been in a worship gathering like this at some time and you have looked over at somebody and you have seen the tears streaming down their face and you have thought to yourself, I wonder what's going on there. You know what I think it is sometimes? Sometimes that person has heard a word in a song or a phrase in a song. And as they are worshiping, that word or phrase takes them back to that moment in their lives when they realized they needed a Savior. And Jesus got right into the middle of the mess of their lives and delivered and rescued and saved them. And as they think about that, they are overcome with unfiltered emotion, with great joy at the thought of being saved. See, the question for us is, as we look at this story, the story of Christmas and this incredible invitation from God, 
The message is so simple. The message is that God sent exactly what we needed. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the first step for us to fully embrace the message of Christmas is to acknowledge that I need a Savior. And as I acknowledge that I need that Savior, God, through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, has made it possible for us to be saved, delivered, rescued. You see, that's the simple message of Christmas. And sometimes because it has become so familiar to us, we lose sight of the fact that that baby born in a manger was God's invitation to a relationship with Him. And it was God's reminder to us that we need a Savior. In fact, I'm pretty confident in this room this morning, in a gathering this size, there are probably some people who for whatever reason in their life have never been willing to acknowledge that they needed a Savior. Could I challenge you this morning that maybe this ought to be the day that you finally look in the mirror and honestly say, you know what, I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. The One who is Christ the Lord. And when our service wraps up today, I'm going to be right down here in the front. And if that's true for you, and this is the day that you want Him to be your Savior, I'd love to pray with you and point you in the right direction so that He can be your Savior and deliver and rescue you from the mess of your own sin. There was a painter that painted a picture of a winter scene. And at first glance of that painting, as he was working on it, it looked like a very dark, cold, uninviting picture. Over in one corner was a little cabin that itself also looked rather dark, uninviting. Until the painter made one slight change. He dipped his paintbrush, his small brush, in some gold paint and then put that brush to the window of that cabin. And suddenly that dark cabin turned to a glowing color in a sense. It moved from looking uninviting to very inviting. It looked welcoming. It looked warm. The darkness was gone. And the whole painting took on a different image. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And I have come to overcome the darkness. And this morning, if you feel like there's a whole lot of darkness in my life, then you need a Savior. You need Jesus who can bring light in the midst of that darkness. God, I thank You for Jesus. I thank You for the privilege of celebrating this time of year. It's a wonderful time because it reminds us of the message of a Savior. And it reminds us of an invitation that came directly from You to every one of us. God, thank You for loving us like that. Thank You for providing for us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.